decades ago looking real good in my passport photo Amateur Traveler, episode 302. Today, the Amateur Traveler talks about forts and pirates and the Fountain of Youth as we go to St. Augustine, Florida. Welcome to the Amateur Traveler. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. Before we get into this week's interview, I do have two news stories for you. The first one is a bit self-serving. The other travel podcast that I do, This Week in Travel, turned 100. That is, we recorded the 100th episode live at Blog World Los Angeles this week. Check out the show notes at AmateurTraveler.com for a link to that, as well as a link to two new video episodes of The Amateur Traveler. It's been a while since one of those has come out. And then in the only real travel story, there was a woman who was trapped, a Bay Area woman from San Francisco, trapped at SFO for eight days because she lacked a $60 baggage fee. She hadn't traveled in over five years, and she had $30 in her pocket and was not anticipating the baggage fees. After eight days, fortunately, the kindness of strangers gave her the money that she needed to pay the fees. For a link to that story, also check out the show notes at AmateurTraveler.com. I'd like to welcome Alan from Jacksonville, who's come on the show to talk to us about St. Augustine, Florida. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And St. Augustine, Florida has a few things about it that are unique within the United States. Why should someone travel to St. Augustine, Florida? Uh, well, St. Augustine is more or less the beginning of the United States, I guess you could call it. It's the uh, oldest continuously occupied European settlement, town, whatever you want to call it, in the North America, really, if you want to count just the continental United States and, and all. So Jamestown is not the oldest place in the U.S.? No, surprisingly, our Anglo-centric history <laughs> books and school textbooks have that wrong. <laughs> uh, St. Augustine is 42 years older than Jamestown, actually, and 55 years older than Plymouth, obviously. And so that was uh, founded in 1565. By the Spanish? By the Spanish, yes. Mm -hmm. So... It's been around a little while. And obviously it wasn't in the United States when it was founded, which is one of the sort of peculiarities why I think it sometimes gets forgotten. Sure, you know, that we became, you know, an English-speaking colony, and it was an English possession for a while, and then it became part of the United States. And I think we just uh, focus on the... Uh, the original 13 colonies, right? Exactly. So why should one go there? What should we see if we go to St. Augustine? Oh, there's all sorts of great things to see in St. Augustine. It's a curious little town. Obviously, being so old, there's layers and layers of history built upon each other that you get a little bit of everything by visiting St. Augustine. It's just a really interesting kind of colonial Spanish mixed with 1920s boomtown, northern playground mixed with southern hospitality. So it's a little bit of its own thing. You can't really... Uh, find anything quite like it elsewhere that I've ever seen or know of. Okay. Let's take that mix apart a bit. So let's go back to the oldest part. What's still left over from the Spanish possession of St. Augustine and of Florida? Well, it depends on which piece of the Spanish possession we're going to start with. Obviously, it was founded in 1565. Most everything from back original was all wooden. So there's some archaeological finds that they have, but there's not really a lot of structures left. Mm -hmm. So from the earliest days of the town that was first founded, 
But what you've got today is mostly left over from the 17th century when they started using a local coquina, which is concrete made from shell and sand that occurs naturally here along the uh, coast and places. And in the English towns farther north, it's called tabby. Some listeners might know it by that name. But coquina, pretty strong, easy material to build with and a fire resistant, uh, which helped because the town was burned a couple of times <laughs> during its history, either by pirates or by themselves so i was going to say was burned sounded like a sometimes an intentional act there it was indeed to my knowledge it may be the only um town in north america and the continental united states to have been sacked and burned by the famous sir francis drake oh sure so, yeah he wouldn't have tended to attack the english-speaking colonies so exactly so yeah drake sacked the town in 1586 and burned it to the ground and then uh, robert searle another english privateer attacked the town and burned it again in 1668, and that prompted the construction of the current fort that everybody knows and loves in the town of Castillo de San Marcos, which is about the ninth fort that was actually there, the previous being all made of earth and wood. The uh, Castillo, a large coquina fortification, still standing. It's the uh, oldest fort still standing in North America that I'm aware of, the only 17th century fort anyway. And that was started in 1672 and finished in 1695. So it's it's been there for a while. It reminds me a bit from pictures of El Moro in San Juan in Puerto Rico. Yes, on a smaller scale than El Moro. Mm-hmm. I believe there's two or three forts actually in the San Juan system there. But uh, Castillo de San Marcos here in San Augustine is um, very similar in style. It's a star fort, you know, big square with bastions and ravelins and glasses and Although the modern design of the time, and it withstood a few attacks after it was actually built and helped repel a couple of English attacks later in the uh, history of the town, such as uh, from James Oglethorpe from Georgia that come down and tried to attack it, but it withstood. Uh, so they uh, finally found something that could fend off those surly English privateers. <laughs> and we say privateers and privateers and pirate is just depends on which side you're on, That's I believe. The privateer would be somebody who's authorized by the king or the queen to be a pirate. So, Exactly. Okay. And anything else from the Spanish era that we should take note of while we're down in St. Augustine? Well, there's still quite a bit of the town that will have the Spanish feel and flavor. A lot of There's quite a bit of foundation, first floor level uh, buildings that are still coquina left from that period that uh, you can still explore. There's a um, Spanish quarter museum in the center of town where they pretty much recreate kind of what life was like during the first Spanish period. Aside from the fort and some of the buildings, there's a few archaeological sites that exist that don't really have a lot of structure to them necessarily. They're more sites and interpretive centers now, such as the initial landing site and the uh, first mission Nombre de Dios. There's the uh, initial landing site is at what is now the Fountain of Youth, which is a, call it a tourist trap. More or less. It's not the real fountain of youth. It's not the real fountain. I was so disappointed. If you've seen the latest Pirates of the Caribbean movie, it looked nothing like the coast of Florida. So I think we can <laughs> say that that was not the real fountain of youth. But the mission site where they landed has a, a nice little interpretive museum and a shrine to Our Lady of Le Leche and a giant cross. I forget how tall it is, but it's, I don't know, 80, 100 feet tall. It's a huge cross. You can see it from all over the place. And, um, our Lady of the Milk. Why is there a Lady of the Milk associated with Florida? Not really sure on that one. I'm not Catholic, but... Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, all right. 
Then once we get out of the um, Spanish period, there's a few others that kind of span because the English came in actually after the Seven Years' War, uh, the French and Indian War. Mm -hmm. There was a treaty of Paris which gave Florida to the British. So the British came in in 1763. Most of the Spaniards moved out. English people came in. So then you've got an English period, so they build English houses. And you've got some sites from that period. And then the Spanish came back in 1783, about 20 years later. So you've got the Spanish back in again, and then they'll stay until the United States takes over in 1821. So there you've got your Spanish to English to Spanish to English again, more or less, and American. So you've got you know, layers built upon each other so that you get a little bit of architecture from everybody that comes through. Interesting. So whatever's surviving, you get a little bit of all of it. I hadn't realized the Spanish had come back in until I was doing some research for this show. Yeah, most people probably don't even know that the English were in for very long for that matter. But right. they came in, they had some plantations in the area. At one point, there was a group that were brought in from Menorca and other areas in the Mediterranean that were brought over as indentured servants to set up an indigo plantation and sugar mills and that sort of thing mm -hmm. uh, south of St. Augustine. And indigo being the expensive purple dye that was grown in the colony. Yes, one of the more stable cash crops of the area during the colonial times. They couldn't really grow cotton. They hadn't really developed the seacoast cotton that would become more well-known during the southern antebellum period that we all recognize with plantation life. But indigo was the big deal, mostly for the area before that. And the one thing I realized, and I'm a little remiss, because we didn't talk about where St. Augustine is in Florida. I think many people know Orlando, and they know Miami, and that's about all they know of Florida, but we're actually further north. Yes, we are, actually. Um, Jacksonville is the biggest city nearby, Jacksonville being just near the Georgia border in the northeastern part of the state. And St. Augustine is about 30 miles, 45 minutes or so by car south of Jacksonville proper. So it's right on the coast. Northeast Florida, we all call it the first coast because this is where it all started. So not too far out of the way if you're heading down to a vacation in Orlando. Indeed. No, it's a, it's a great stop off. It's only a few minutes off of 95. You can stop in for a couple of days and see most all the sites and spend some time at the beach. You know, a lot of people like to do that and uh, get some history on your way to the mouse. Now, you mentioned, and we I can't let it go without talking about it a little more, you mentioned the Fountain of Youth tourist trap. What would I see if I went to the Fountain of Youth there in St. Augustine? It's been a while since I've actually been to the Fountain of Youth. I understand they've cleaned it up a little bit, but there's a little, you call it fountain, it's water bubbling out of a rock with a couple of Native American Tamuquan Indians, statues, kind of audio animatronic kind of <laughs> things around it sort of deal, and they'll do a talk, and there's some archaeological sites that they've started expanding now, and I understand they've nicened it up a little bit, but it's really been a while since I've truly been to the actual Fountain of Youth site, but it's more of a created tourist attraction than anything, <laughs> although they do actually now have the real archaeological stuff. It's just not the Fountain of Youth. And when you say the archaeological stuff, some of the history of Ponce de Leon's travels. Ponce de Leon came through the area a while before it was actually founded. St. Augustine was founded by um, Pedro Menendez de Aviles in 1565, and actually Aviles, being a, a town in Spain, is actually a sister city with St. Augustine, and oh, they share... Uh, visits with each other. Um, we've had people come into town, official visits from government officials of Spain and the area, and they sent over a um, fountain 
that mimics the fountain from the town where Pedro Menendez was born, so that we've got pretty much a copy of the fountain from Spain over here in St. Augustine now. So that's another interesting little tidbit. Hmm, interesting. And then the other thing you mentioned as you were talking about the history of the town is a 1920s destination. Yes. Henry Flagler came down as part of expanding the railroads to the south before the railroad really went much further south in Jacksonville and St. Augustine. Most of South Florida was just malaria infested down in Miami and stuff. The only people down there were unfortunate military outposts. There was no nightlife on South Beach. It was mostly people dying of yellow fever. So St. Augustine (laughs) was about as far south as the uh, railroads really took you for a resort town. So it became a hopping place in the early 1900s for northern elite to come down and convalesce or just get away from the cold weather. And Henry Flagler, largely responsible for a lot of buildings in the town, a lot of beautiful churches, a hospital. What is now Flagler College was a hotel. There's a museum right across the street was also a hotel, the Alcazar. Now it's the Leitner Museum. But Flagler's influence on the town can't be underestimated for its current state. Interesting. And any other highlights of St. Augustine while we're down there? There's quite a bit to walk around and see. Um, Besides the fort, which is a must-do, it's a rare find in America. There's a pirate museum right across the street, which um, Pat Croce, who former owner of the Philadelphia 76ers of the NBA, had a museum in Key West, and he moved it up here a year or two ago. And they built a, a renovated a nice building. It's a really fabulous little museum. It's really fun for all ages if you have any interest at all in pirates or nautical history, let's say. It's Disney quality, what they've done with it. It's really a great thing to catch when you're downtown. There's quite a few museums. There's And Disney quality, but not Disney pirates. Correct. More real pirates. More real pirates. Okay. They are pirates of the Caribbean, though. So. That, that would be true. There's quite a few uh, really nice churches. There's a shrine in the middle of town to St. Photios who incidentally is not the patron saint of photographers, I've learned. I did not know that. There's uh, museums and old government houses and things you can do. There's a chocolate factory that gives tours. There's a winery that does tours and tastings a lot of people enjoy. There's an old jail that does overnight stays for paranormal. There's a lot of ghost tours that are, are quite popular in the town. A lot of people like to take the trolleys around town to ride and do a little tour kind of thing, though most of the town is eminently walkable. Uh, once you're in the actual old town itself. Now, of course, I didn't hear anything after chocolate. Um, <laughs> is there chocolate grown or produced in that area? I don't think of St. Augustine when I think of chocolate. No, I'm pretty sure they don't grow it here, but they make chocolate here. It's a nice little factory. They do tours and tastings, and you can get the chocolate around town in little shops and things like that. That's pretty good. It's a whetstone. It's the name of the chocolate factory there. Okay. As I think of St. Augustine... St. Augustine, I would think, would be more of a southern city than, say, Miami. And I don't mean further south. I mean more influenced by the south. Oh, yes, by all means. We generally consider anything south of Orlando to be part of the north and anything north of Orlando to be (laughs) south. (laughs) I understand what you're saying. Okay. (laughs) So, yes, St. Augustine very much more linked to southern history and society and, and heritage more so than anything. They did have troops go out to the Civil War, and one of the Confederate generals actually from St. Augustine Loring. Uh, there's a monument to him in town. Though there wasn't really any fighting in the city itself, the fort was uh, 
taken by the Union early in the war and just occupied for the most part. Though it did play some small roles in the earlier fighting with the uh, Seminole Wars. It was a prison during the Seminole Wars. And Osceola, if anybody's familiar with the Seminole, perhaps more well-known for being the uh, mascot for Florida State University, more or less now. But uh, he was in prison there during the, the Seminole War, and they had a, an escape where 19 of the prisoners escaped in the middle of the night and got away at one point. So that there's a nice section in the fort that actually talks about its role during the Seminole War, so you can kind of get more detail on that through there, too. And unless I'm mistaken, there was one in Civil War, I having just read Shelby Foote's books about the Civil War, there was one Union campaign that ended badly for the North that started from St. Augustine that kind of went into the malarial insides and met up with disaster, as I recall, which is kind of a minor footnote. But I think the intention was at the time that if you could get a certain number of the population to register, that you could put the state back into the union. And it was something like 10%. If you could get 10% of the voters to sign basically patriot oaths to rejoin the union, then the state could become a state, could be represented in both Congress and then also play a part in the reelection, which was one of the reasons why there were union troops down there trying to add one more state and hopefully add one more state in Lincoln's column when it wasn't clear that he was going to get reelected. Exactly. That's true. There was an exponential launch from Jacksonville. They came down from South Carolina, about 5,000 troops, and then marched inland westward from Jacksonville, where they were met uh, about 30 miles west of Jacksonville at the Battle of Old Lusty and defeated by the Confederate forces of roughly equal size there and ran back. And that was in February of 1864. So yeah, just before the election at that point, trying to, uh, like you said, garner another state for the Union. Unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully at that point. Yes, Florida's capital, the only one not captured during the Civil War, east of the Mississippi. Oh, interesting. Okay. What's going to surprise me when I come to St. Augustine? I think mostly it's just that there's so much eclectic architecture and history in such a small place. It's not a big town. There's only about 12,000 people that live there now. But it's just so unique in the way it's built and it has grown up over time with so much different periods to explore and look at. You can turn down one corner and you're walking past a very sparse coquina Spanish type structure. And then around the corner, there's a Civil War era Southern style mansion type building. And then around the corner, there's a 1920s church. And over here, there's a 1700 fort. Hmm. Everywhere you turn, there's something a little bit different. Any recommendations on places to stay or places to eat? Places to stay is an interesting conundrum. If you want to stay downtown in the old city itself, there's only a handful of actual hotels just because most of the buildings back then aren't, aren't big enough to have a hotel. And then mm -hmm. some of the hotels that were built during the 20s have been converted into either colleges or museums. Uh, so you've got the Casa Monica Hotel is a very nice high-end type hotel recently in the news for firing an employee for wearing an American flag pin. You may have heard about that. Ouch. There's a uh, Hampton Inn on the Bayfront, which is nice. We've stayed in that one. There's a, another couple of small hotels in the historic center, and then there's some bed and breakfasts. But most of your normal, more affordable lodging hotel types are going to be a little bit outside of town. Mm -hmm. So it might be less convenient if you're walking. And I'm guessing city of 12,000 getting around walking or with car is probably our option. Yeah, mass transit's not the strength of this part of the country, let's say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everything's spread out. Everybody's got their own vehicle. You can walk. You might have to walk a mile or two, depending on which hotel you want to stay at, to get to certain attractions. 
not always great if the weather turns inclements, which it's for, it's known to happen. And my impression from you is, while we may not exhaust the city, we can probably see a good deal of it in a couple days. Yeah, you can see most of the old town in a day or two and cover pretty much everything. There's a few other attractions just outside of the old town. If you cross over the bridge, over the river that is along the riverfront downtown, you've got a lighthouse, you've got Alligator Farm, which is more of a zoological park, but mainly focusing on alligators and reptiles and that sort of thing. Though they do have some other items. There's a, a nice state park, and the beach is mainly down south of town. And then you've got a few areas further down. Fort Matanzas was built fairly late in the uh, colonial era as a protection to the back door of St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. It's a very unusual looking fort. It's very small. It's just kind of stuck out in the middle of nowhere. You take a ferry boat actually to get to it because it's on an island in the river. And it's a free ferry run by the National Park Service. It's a fun little trip. It's on Rattlesnake Island. They tell you to uh, stay in the on the beaten path because there are rattlesnakes on Rattlesnake Island. But that's an unusual, neat little place to go. And they frequently have, at both forts, living history demonstrations. They have reenactors regularly, especially on weekends. And they'll do artillery demonstrations. They'll talk to you. And they're uh, alternately either English or Spanish, sometimes Civil War era. So um, you can get a little mix of both depending on the time of year and what's going on. Okay. And you mentioned National Park. We hadn't mentioned that before. But it is a National Historic Park. Am I correct? Yes. It's National Historic Center. Then I think you mentioned places to eat. That's another interesting thing. The restaurant scene in, in St. Augustine for such a small town is just about as eclectic as the architecture and the history. You've got everything from fine dining. There's a place called Collage on one of the old streets, which is a very highly rated, very nice. There's a Mayan restaurant. Oh, interesting. There's okay. English pub across the street. There's a Greek place. There's French places. And these are all actually run by people from those countries who have mm-hmm. come to St. Augustine and fallen in love and moved there. There's a fairly large number of people that, that do that. They come, they visit, they fall in love, and they move there. You meet people from all over the world eating in the restaurants or just in the shops. And you can hear some interesting stories about why they came and why they stayed. Okay. And this is Florida, so I'm assuming the best time to go is probably not summer? Probably not if you're not used to the heat and humidity. It is liable to be in the mid to upper 90s and high humidity during the summers. Mm -hmm. Chances of severe afternoon thunderstorms and your occasional um, hurricane might brush by. Though this actual part of the coast, we're about as far west as you can get on the east coast. The whole Jackson, San Augustine up to about Savannah. Mm -hmm. So we're not as likely to be hit by hurricanes as most other regions along the coast in the south. So we're fairly fortunate that way. We haven't really had a direct hit in about 40 years. And even before that, it was a while. So we're pretty fortunate that way. But the thunderstorms and the heat and humidity you will get. So if you're not used to that climate, it can be quite taxing. Uh, So you might want to look at the cooler time of year, which could run from uh, October. We've had some unseasonably cool weather here lately, but November, December, January, February, March, those are the cooler months. Um, It can get cold, though. We're subtropical, not tropical, so it can still dip into freezing and below freezing, and we'll occasionally, every five, ten years, get a brief snow flurry, even. (laughs) Okay. And is there a great day of the year to come there in terms of festivals or something else going on in the town? 
starting in late November, it's usually the weekend before Thanksgiving, and running into uh, just after New Year's, they do what they call the Knights of Lights, and during that time, they're uh, celebrating Christmas, and the entire town gets decked out in white Christmas lights, and it's a very beautiful sight. All the buildings are outlined, and there's lights on the trees, and pretty much wherever anybody can hang white lights, they'll do it, and it's very tasteful, and it's very beautiful, and it's a charming time of year to come. It's you know usually nice weather, uh, sometimes cool, but usually never going to be hot and not often cold. And you can often catch early in December, they'll do uh, special festivals. They'll do a night watch parade with the British period reenactors, and they'll do a parade up St. George Street, which is the main street through the old section of town. Mm-hmm. They'll stop on one, and then they'll march their way through with a, a torch-lit parade, and they're all decked out in their uniforms and guns, and the ladies are in period dresses and everything. It's a fun time to be around. There's festivals when they have the kickoff for the Knights of Lights, there's an all-day event that Saturday. They'll have bands and arts and crafts and vendors and all sorts of things like that. It's, it's pretty much, I think, my favorite time to be in St. Augustine is during the Knights of Lights for that Christmas season. Okay. One thing that you've seen and you had to laugh and say only in St. Augustine. Only in St. Augustine. Oh, <laughs> uh, my wife chipped in with it comment there. At one point we were visiting with my wife's family. We had all gone down for the day and we're walking down St. George Street getting ready to leave and a man dressed as a pirate starts hitting on my wife's younger sister which only in St. Augustine. (laughs) (laughs) Even today we can't get rid of the pirates. (laughs) There's there's a line there about booty that I'm just not touching. Okay. (laughs) Before we get into my typical last questions as we start to wind this down. Anything else we should know before we pack our bags and head to St. Augustine? Definitely try the seafood. It's you know on the coast of Florida. That's what we're known for around here is you know seafood, especially shrimp. To that end, the best shrimp I'm pretty sure on this side of heaven are at a little place called Osteen's. It's just south of town on the island, on Anastasia Island. You'll find and the best shrimp I'm pretty sure they are served in the uh, seafood section of the buffet in heaven. There's a lot of Minorcan influence. I, I, touched on that earlier, but when the Moroccans did come into St. Augustine, they stayed and they kept a lot of the culture and the food. So you get a, an interesting mix of the Menorcan, Mediterranean, Spanish kind of mix with the Southern and the English mm-hmm. and the Spanish. So you get an interesting mix of food types sometimes, but definitely the seafood is something that we're known for around here. And I don't know if I would recognize a Menorcan dish. Well, one of the most recognizable here would be the Menorcan clam chowder, okay. which unlike your New England clam chowder, which is white and creamy mm-hmm. here, it's more similar to a gumbo almost. It's a tomato-based, thinner broth full of stuff, some spice to it. It's really good. Excellent. As we go to wind this down, you really know you're in St. Augustine when what? When you can walk past a schoolhouse, a tavern, a Greek Orthodox shrine, and a pirate museum all on the same block and <laughs> feel out of place. And if you had to summarize St. Augustine in three words, what three words would you use? Historic, because there's just so much history there. And mm-hmm. being the oldest uh, town in the United States, you got to go with the history. Uh, eclectic, because there's just so much different stuff in such a small area between the architecture and the history and the food and the people. And uh, lastly, charming. It's just a charming little town. I don't know how many dozens and dozens of times I have been in St. Augustine during my life, and it never gets old. There's always something to explore and see, and it's just a great place to get lost and 
dream and imagine. Excellent. Alan, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing with us your love for St. Augustine. Thanks for having me. This show is coming out a day late, and so I'm going to wrap it up at this point. If you have any questions about this show or about the Amateur Traveler in general, feel free to leave a comment on this episode at AmateurTraveler.com or send me an email to host at AmateurTraveler.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris2x or join the Facebook community at Facebook.com slash AmateurTraveler, where I give things away for free. As always, thanks so much for listening.